This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. I rejected former Milwaukee Mayor John Norquist discussing the Dissimilarity Index, which measures racism in the U.S. The Urban Institute and the University of New York, Albany, and some other partners came up with this Dissimilarity Index back in the 1950s. And I don't think they intended to be racist, but I think it's one of the most racist constructions to measure racism that's come up outside of the Ku Klux Klan. Coming up in this episode of Colors. This sort of treatment towards Asian Americans is not new. Angelie Chong is a community leader and lawyer in the Seattle area and past president of the Korean American Coalition of Washington. With the pandemic and with the with it being labeled the China virus and the Kung flu, that certainly has not helped and in fact has fueled the anti-Asian sentiment. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. One, two, three. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. J.J., you and I got an email from um, one of our co-workers at the radio station uh, a couple of weeks ago from Sue Ann. And Sue Ann says, My parents immigrated from Korea, and I was born in the U.S., just south of Seattle, Washington. When I think of race and racism in America today, I'm truly heartbroken by what I've seen, stories that have been shared with me, and recently, what my children and I have experienced, being targeted with racial slurs based simply on what we look like. I'm sad that it's come to this to remind me how real racism is in America today. So that's from Sue Ann. And to talk about that aspect, because this podcast is called Colors, not Black and White, um, Sue Ann suggested a friend of hers, Angelie Chong, who's a labor lawyer in Seattle, past president of the Korean American Coalition of the State of Washington, past president of the Asian Counseling and Referral Service, which promotes social justice and empowerment of Asian Americans. Angelie, welcome to our podcast. Has there always been a hostility toward the Asian community or is this simply fed by COVID-19? Well, thank you both for having me and having this conversation. Uh, this, this sort of treatment towards Asian Americans is not new. Um, certainly with, with the pandemic and with, the, with it being labeled the China virus and the Kung flu, that certainly has not helped and in fact has fueled the anti-Asian sentiment. And um, I, can, I can provide more examples, but this is certainly not new in Asian American history. Um, it dates back to 1882 with the Chinese Exclusion Act when, um, you know, Many Americans on the West Coast were blaming the declining wages um, and the economic ills on Chinese workers after they built the Transcontinental Railroad, and um, many of whom lost their lives during that. 
Um, but they're often scapegoated whenever uh, there's a there's a problem in um, in the economy and um, and and they're always uh, viewed as the perpetual foreigner and that continues in history with the various anti-immigrant uh, policies uh, with the Japanese internment during World War II and then decades with uh, with more immigration policies that specifically uh, banned Asians from immigrating to this country. So this is this is certainly reminiscent of, of much of what's happened in the past. Anjali, and let me just say, first of all, about Sue Ann's email, there is nothing micro about this attack on her and her family and others who are undergoing the same kind of treatment. This is big, ugly stuff. Uh, and it's something that needs to be uh, essentially put out there, uh, just like everything else that's not good, to be dealt with. So that brings me to my question to you, Angela. You have been a community activist for a long time. What's being done to address that situation, Sue Ann's situation, and the overall process of dealing with racism? And I ask that question now in view of what's taken place since the George Floyd death. The Black Lives Matter protest has ignited protest across the country. So is this an opportunity? It, it is an opportunity, and it started, you know, at the, at the early stages of the pandemic when there were reports of, of hate crimes, of verbal and physical attacks on Asian Americans, um, you know, being basically the target of this pandemic. Uh, there were, like you mentioned, microaggressions, all, you know, to, to violent attacks and stabbings um, of an Asian American family in um, in a Sam's Club, and um, I believe this was in Texas, and um, the two children were stabbed, two years old and six years old, and the suspect sta stabbed the family, he said, because they, he thought they were Chinese and infecting people with the coronavirus. Um, and this is, uh, there have been hundreds and thousands now of incidents like this reported, and there's a, there's a database that was launched. It's called StopAAPIHate.org, and it's a self-reporting center that was formed by a number of API advocacy groups, um, as well as the San Francisco State University, and it's been the lead um, hub for reporting these incidents of hate, and it's aimed to educate and advocate um, against these um, forms of hate. And um, when you go there, um, you can see that within the first week of the site being launched, there were a total of 650 incidents reported. And over the course of a two month period, there were over 1800 incidents reported. And um, various API groups have been um, doing something similar in the Seattle area. For example, uh, we have uh, been partnering with um, a, a group called the Coalition Against Hate and Bias, which is an arm of the King County Office of Equity and Social Justice. And there, um, a number of reports have also been um, made on, on what's been going on in the Seattle area. Uh, a woman reported having to deal with a neighbor who posted up a sign that she could, something she could see at the kitchen window and it said China virus. And it indicated how many US deaths there were from it. Um, you know, children are being targeted and, at, you know, and this was right before the shutdown, but you know, but as the coronavirus was, uh, was spreading, 
kids were playing coronavirus tag and targeting Asian children. Um, and so this is going on. This is in progressive Seattle. and <laughs> This is going on all over the country. Um, so hopefully with organizations, um, API advocacy groups and this reporting hub, we can get educated. We can, uh, we can advocate against this. And, uh, you know, this is, this is important to address because, you know, any hate crime is, is an attack on, on all groups and it's, it's so misdirected. Um, and it has to start with, um, you know, making people aware that this is a global pandemic. It's, you know, the origin is less significant at this point because, uh, you know, we need to address the public health issue and disease prevention and, and, um, understand the impacts of, of civil society that this has. And, um, you know, the WHO denounced identifying diseases, diseases by its place of origin, yet we've got leaders in this country continuing to call this the China virus. And so this is, um, you know, this is racism. It's essentially racism. Um, and we need to stand uh, also with our brothers and sisters in the Black Lives Matter movement, um, basically addressing this as, um, you know, and calling it what it is. Uh, you're a labor lawyer. And uh, in other discussions, we've talked about um, the difficulties of African-Americans getting a level playing field when it comes to employment, comes to jobs, comes promotion, comes to pay. Um, has, is there discrimination against Asians in the labor market? Um, you know, interestingly, you know, we've seen just in history, exploitation of labor, um, you know, of, of Asian Americans in labor. And this is all the way from, you know, the building of the Transcontinental Railroad where uh, thousands were brought over, um, you know, and exploited. And, um, but in terms of the, the labor force, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say what's happening currently. I think every population is being affected. Um, but I certainly have heard stories where, uh, you know, Asian Americans in the workforce are being, um, you know, stigmatized, you know, with the, with the coronavirus pandemic. And um, certainly um, the treatment is, is pervasive everywhere. You know, I have something um, that I wanted to go back to your previous comment regarding um, you know, the issue of what's happening in, in your community, which is our community. We embrace your community as our community. We're all one um, on the inside and um, we should be all one on the outside too. But something I found pretty disturbing has bubbled up during the attention that's been focused on the state of relations between blacks and whites since the George Floyd murder. And that is people of other races have actually sought to quiet members of their own race, saying this time is not our moment. Have you seen that happening in your community? You know, in the Seattle community, we have a very active um, Asian Pacific Islander population. Um, and I would say the opposite has happened. Hmm. Uh, we have a Chinatown International uh, District we call the CID, and when the George Floyd uh, killing happened, um, I saw so much 
uh, movement and activism within the API community. And there is a Facebook group that's called the Support the ID uh, Community United. And it started off addressing the economic and other um, harms that were inflicted on the API population and, and the businesses, particularly in Chinatown. Um, and then it, the sh it, it shifted when, um, when uh, George Floyd was killed and with the rise of the um, Black Lives Matter protests. And, um, you know, granted, a lot of, um, you know, demonstrations occurred. And early on, some of that destruction um, actually moved into the CID. And rather than, um, you know, denounce, and no one wants to condone that kind of violence and destruction, but, um, you know, after all the damage and destruction, the next day, the entire community went over to the CID, boarded up the walls, um, artists got together, painted the Black Lives Matter uh, messages and beautiful artwork all over the storefronts. And um, I remember seeing live, you know, whenever, a, a business said, you know, I might need some help having my, um, my walls boarded up. Within an hour, there was a group of people over there boarding up the walls. Um, it was a, a beautiful organized effort. And if you ever have a chance to see uh, photos of this, um, you know, you can see how the, the API community has um, really tried to be an ally and rallied with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and, and I think what's important is is not about our voice, but elevating black voices. And that is what our emphasis has been. So the organization that I'm very active with, um, ACRS, Asian Counseling and Referral Service, we've been partnering with other black led community organizations and following their lead um, and um, helping with endorsements of various uh, uh, local, state, um, county legislation and changes and, um, you know, we uh, will be working on having a statewide conversation about how to address police violence and, um, and the anti-Black racism that exists. Well, just really quick to follow up. I just, I guess maybe we're agreeing on this, but I just want to make clear from my perspective, this is our moment, all of our moments, all of ours moment, <laughs> however you're supposed to say that uh, <laughs> properly. It's not just for the Black Lives Matter movement or any particular subset of the movement. It is focused on Black Lives Matter because that's where it ought to be because of what we're doing. But I want to say all lives and everyone and everything that's supporting the Black Lives move movement uh, is important right now. So it's all it's, 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 it's your community's moment, too. It's all of our moment right now. Absolutely. And, and the larger issue is the systemic racism that has existed in this country for centuries. And I think that is what all communities are looking to address. Um, and yes, the focus has been the Black community and um, the, the harms, because this, you know, this community has suffered far more harms than the API community. And I'm, I'm not even trying to compare it, but in terms of the, yeah, the history, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think Asian Pacific Islanders recognize that we have benefited, benefited from, from uh, the efforts and, and lives lost and liberties for, you know, from the black movement and the civil rights era. Um, and so, you know, I myself, um, I'm a beneficiary of that, of, 
of being able to immigrate this, to this country thanks to uh, the immigration changes that occurred in 1965 um, just on the heels of the Civil Rights Act. And um, so we, we recognize that. This, this may seem trite compared to the other things we're discussing here, but I, I bring it up just because um, it caught my attention. Trader Joe's, a very popular supermarket um, all over the country, my wife's favorite supermarket to go to, and they package their own food with their own brand name. Sometimes it's called Trader Joe's, but for example, if they have Latin American food, they call it Trader Jose's. They also have some Chinese food, which they uh, brand as Trader Ming. Uh, is that, in your opinion, Anjali, and JJ, too, is that just clever marketing or is that offensive? <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of Trader Joe's. <laughs> um, you know, they, they do a lot of their food, right? And I, I think they must have some good consultants. But, um, you know, I, I personally am not offended. I could see how some people would be. I... Um, you know, I, I, I suppose I, I appreciate that they are, um, you know, trying, trying to embrace other, you know, other foods and cultures, um, you know, so, but I'm a little less, you know, I, I don't see that as big a problem um, as some other issues, but I could certainly see how it could be offensive to some people um, and sort of perpetuating this uh, notion of, you know, sort of the foreigner and the exotic, uh, you know, names associated with that. Um. You know, we could find a lot of things. We could find a lot of things to criticize right now um, during this time frame. There are a lot of things that uh, that aren't going to be the same now that have been okay in air quotes for a long time, but are going to change now. And this is something, another theme that Chris and I have talked about on numerous occasions, a lot of stuff is going to change because the focus now is pretty direct on everything that has to do with systemic racism. Now for Trader Joe, if more important for me is what's their equality like when it comes to jobs, the money situation, the workplace rules, the behavior there, their role in the community, are they welcoming? Those are the kinds of things. The other, the packaging and all that, you know, that as again, I said, things are going to change. That may change. And if it does, fine. You know, um, but um, we can find a lot of things to criticize right now. But um, all of those folks and organizations that are out there that are trying to make some differences, uh, make some changes now, that's what I'm all about right now. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to listen to the community. You know, if there are groups saying, hey, this is offensive, I think that companies have a duty to, to respond to that. I think that's good. I, I, I don't have any further questions. I think that we covered it pretty well. I nice. have just one more okay. I would like to ask, if you don't mind. Uh, we, will, we will edit this. Um, so, Anjali, my view on racism is this. It's built on other destructive behaviors, minimizing people's value, gossiping, whisper campaigns, professional jealousy, you know, exclusion, stuff that these destructive behaviors are completely accepted in the broader society. We do it all the time in the workplace. We do it in our personal lives. We do it in our communities. People do these things. People in our own groups, circles, races, 
do some of these destructive things. Racism to me is not a one lane road with a car barreling down the road, spewing the exhaust of hate. It's a super highway, a network of super highways with a lot of different cars. Um, and I don't mean to minimize or to compare people to cars, but I'm just trying to make a point here that racism is, is really pervasive and it's got a lot, a lot of, a lot of hurt and harm attached mm -hmm. to it. What's your, What's your thought on how people, you would suggest people deal with viewing racism, recognizing racism? You know, that's a really good question, you know, and that's something that particularly in the Asian American community, um, you know, it's, it's sensitive because there is a lot of biases within the Asian community. And as you know, it's um, a very diverse, vast, um, you know, group of people. We, are, we come from so many different countries and speak many languages. And, um, you know, with the diversity comes, I think, differences in, in how we view one another. Um, and something that's also pervasive in the Asian community, unfortunately, is anti-Blackness. And that's something that is also, um, I think, actively being addressed with, um, you know, within different API groups. Um, and, you know, I saw it growing up. And, um, you know, I grew up in Hawaii um, and there aren't very many black people in Hawaii. And so, um, you know, I think anything different uh, from what you're used to and what I was used to is, uh, you know, seeing actually other Asians and um, being part of the racial major majority in Hawaii. And so for me, I always embraced my culture. I never felt I had to add the American to Asian American until I went away to college to the mainland. And it was something that I understood was more of a movement. Um, but, you know, race is how you own it. And when I grew up, I uh, just remember celebrating our, our culture and um, other cultures and the Hawaiian culture um, and having a holiday for every occasion. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, over time and in my adulthood and my community work, I, I learned that race is, um, you know, just so much more complicated um, and, um, and how we, um, you know, view other communities, um, you know, whether it be through um, just activism or um, an understanding, I think that that ultimately is what we need to do. We need to sort of understand one another um, and listen to each other. Thank you so much, Angela. We appreciate your coming on. Well, thank you so much again for having this conversation. Yeah, thank you for taking time to do this. Um, this is a very necessary part of our programming. You're listening to Colors. My name is Hagar Shamali and I'm from Connecticut. I'm American Lebanese, and because of the experiences my parents had during the Civil War in Lebanon, they told me every day how lucky I was to be born in the United States. I love this country, which is why I'm so heartbroken at how endemic and horrific racism is here. I don't know how we eradicate it. I only believe that if racism can be eliminated anywhere, it should be here. I may be an optimist, but I see a real shift in the conversations on racism today. They seem more open, real, and deep, and more people seem willing to learn. And so with a lot of work, I genuinely believe we'll get to a point where racism becomes a thing of the past. Hi, I'm uh, Jody Trani. I'm the uh, former uh, special envoy for North Korea, many years at the CIA before that. 
Uh, I'm a fan of colors. I think JJ and Chris do a great job. I'm a, I'm an Italian American, born here in the United States. My, my wife is a Chinese American. We were uh, classmates in college, and we got married. We spent many years overseas, and I can tell you, living so many years overseas and coming back to the U.S., our strength is our diversity. And I, I just resonate so hard on that issue there. So when I saw Colors coming up for this podcast, I said, this is exactly what we need. And I think what we're doing today, talking about our strength being through diversity and how important it is to protect and enhance that means so much to our exceptionalism as a nation. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Well, JJ, that's why we call the program Colors instead of Black and White, because we see a completely different side of race relations and discrimination and bigotry from that conversation with Angeli. And, and um, I, I think that was important to have because it's something that maybe you and I don't see because neither of us is Asian. Absolutely. But, you know, as an African-American man, I've seen it every single day of my life. So I can empathize. This is exactly what we need to do. This is exactly where we are. And this is not to say that we've graduated from this very necessary conversation about the problems, the big problems, the massive problems in this country when it comes to how black folks are treated in this country by people who are non-black who treat African-Americans poorly. That's not to say that conversation is, is We've done it. No, we still have a lot to do, but there is a lot to do as well when it comes to every single other ethnicity on this planet. Well, what's interesting uh, to me, and it kind of uh, because we just had that conversation, is um, there is the U.S. Department of Justice has said that Yale University has been discriminating against Asian Americans and white applicants after doing an extensive research. They said that it is um, uh, Asian American and white students have one tenth to one fourth the likelihood of being admitted to Yale as African American applicants with the uh, comparable academic credentials. Now, in thinking about that, I thought that's a perfect topic to discuss because discrimination is wrong no matter what. But we recognize we want to level the playing field. But it is picking somebody over another person based on their ethnicity. Um, I, it's, I'm, I'm conflicted with this. Uh, and I, I get back to that great guest, the Sergeant Major that we had on our program, in which he was talking about promotions and saying, don't put pictures up for people that are up for promotions. Just put their names up and their accomplishments so that people, because it, it shouldn't matter what race they are. Is that do you think that's the same thing should be true about a school like Yale that they should ju- uh, there should be no questions about your ethnic origin and no photographs or are they necessary? Yeah, they're necessary. Who runs who runs Yale? Who's on the board? And um where essentially are they getting their guidance from? Well, who runs Yale is probably people named Bush <laughs> and uh <laughs> Uh, and 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 yeah, no, I get I, I get your point. And and I, you know, and I understand that what they're what they're trying to do is to say, look, we 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 want to make Yale look a little bit more like the rest of America. 
Um, and so we're going to, if we see two applicants of roughly the same qualification, we're going to take somebody who's African-American over somebody who is white or Asian, because we've got plenty of white or Asian kids. But you look at you're the, you're the white or Asian kid, and you're saying, wait a minute, you're discriminating against me because of my ethnic background. So, I mean, I can see it from both sides, and, and, I, and I, I'm not, you know, I just, I'm just curious. Give me a little bit more of your thought on that, well, if you will. Well, you know, the same thing happened last year to Harvard, you know? They were in the same situation, almost the same. There was a lawsuit filed by the Students for Fair Admissions. I believe that was the name of that group. Um, and this was essentially saying that Harvard was discriminating against Asian American students. Uh, but a judge said that Harvard's admission policies were not perfect, but they do stand up constitutionally. And I have to think that the judge was taking into account a lot of different things, including intent by engaging in that process and also looking at where we stand now versus where we stood before and, of course, where we want to go. And, you know, we might as well take a look at the real question here, and that is, are African-Americans getting preferential treatment at Yale or Harvard or anywhere else? And, you know, this this always comes up. It, it's come up a lot of times in, in recent history. Uh, and the bottom line on it is keeping the playing field leveled is a hard thing. You remember the Baki case, Alan Baki? Remind me. University of California. It was a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court, and they upheld affirmative action, which is what this case was a challenge to, and it allowed race to be one of several factors in college admission policy. You know, I do see a difference, however, between a public university paid for by tax dollars and a private university that's paid for by endowments and by tuition, uh, Yale being one of the most private, um, where perhaps they should be able to set their own admission policies as they think is in the best interest of Yale. Um, Do you you see a difference or is it the same thing? I do see what you say about uh, publicly funded universities and uh, private private institutions. But at, at, at the end of the day, what really matters is, you know, are you going to allow everyone that deserves to get into any institution, whether it's public or private, a level playing field to get into that institution, whether it's public or private. And so you have to make sure that everyone understands that, okay, this is the way this has got to go to make sure that it is a level playing field. It's complicated, but it's something that um, a lot of things are complicated, but that doesn't stop us from talking about it. Race is complicated. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's right. And, uh, you know, the more of these shows that we do, the more we see the layers of it and we see the we see how complicated it is. I mean, that's been for me. You asked me before about, you know, what have I learned from doing 10, 11, 12 of these? Yeah. Um, and the answer is uh, how complicated it is. They're not an easy answer. It's, it's really easy to say, OK, everybody, we, we've got to get along better and, and, and we should talk to each other. And all. But it becomes difficult there. It's there are layers to it. And that's been for me and another one of the things that I've enjoyed, frankly, and learning about. But um, it makes me think <laughs> we still got a ways to go, pal. We do. Last thing, uh, just for me, I just want to share with you this business that came up uh, on our last program. And we asked people to help us out. Uh, you 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 mentioned 
something regarding the fact that you had seen in the St. Petersburg Tampa Bay Times. Now, Sorry. Yeah. So tell us what you saw and, and what your well, question was. It, it, stylistically, when they say when they uh, say somebody's color, if it's black, it's capital B, and if it's white, it's a small W. And I was just asking if there is a, a stylistic reason for that. Asking you as a journalist, who's a very good one, uh, who's conscientious about things like that, and we didn't know the answer to it. <laughs> and I and you said, well, I think we need a grammarian. Did we find a grammar a grammarian? We did. And there's oh, a good. there's a guy that I work with here, and you know most folks know my day job is national security journalist, and there's a thing that I do here called it's a newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and every week I work on this newsletter with a great guy. His name is Will Vitka, and here's what we came up with from the Associated Press style book. It says AP style is not a capitalized black in a racial, ethnic, or cultural sense, conveying an essential and shared sense of history, identity, and community among people who identify as black, including those in the African diaspora and within Africa. And as far as white goes, it says after a review and period of consultation, we found at this time less support for capitalizing white. White people generally do not share the same history and culture or the experience of being discriminated against because of skin color. In addition, AP, it says, is a global news organization and there is considerable disagreement, ambiguity, and confusion about whom the term includes in much of the world. So there you go. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I just was curious. I'm glad you I'm glad I'm glad we found somebody that could give us the answers. So now we know. Yes, we certainly do know. And speaking of knowing, if there's something that you'd like to know or something you'd like to share with us, send us an email. You can reach us at the colors podcast. That's one word. The colors podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think, and we'll be sure to get back to you. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. There are two elements that, that need to be clarified for people. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, sets the record straight about African-Americans and COVID-19. One, the likelihood that African-Americans will get infected versus whites or others. And importantly, when and if they do get infected, the likelihood of their getting a serious outcome more so than whites. And the answer is, unfortunately, yes to both. He speaks candidly about that and many other COVID-19 issues, including when you and I will get to take a vaccine. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, it's that time again. Time to go. Before we do it, we have to say thank you. Mike Jakaitis, Tiffany Arnold, Rick Massimo, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, George Molnar, Antonello Favaro, Casper Mangalit, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Ellie Rowe, Greg Strassel, Beth Gibbs, Hillary Howard, Sean Anderson, Thedford Collins, Dorothy Gilliam, James Brown, Steve Weich, Thomas Warren, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher. 
Cosmic, and Riot. And most of all, a gigantic thank you to you for listening to us. And finally, remember, keep talking to each other. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts.